how many springs does an official bowl have in it? How many springs? It doesn't have any springs in it. Why well, does it bounce then? It's air. There's air in the ball. Well, there's air in this room. How come this room ain't bouncing? Hey everyone, this is your host, Chris Hasekwat, and you are listening to the Love Means Nothing Tennis Podcast. It has been, ooh, I don't know, probably four or five days since the last pod. Um, It was right after the quarterfinals. I went through the quarterfinal matches. I teed up the semis. The semis were then done two days ago. I tried to do a podcast It sucked, so I just didn't even post it. And now we're done the final, so I feel obligated. Not just obligated, I want to do a pod. Um, There's a lot to talk about. We had an epic finals for the men. We had a so-so final for the women. Wasn't nearly as epic. Okay. Um, That's probably why they're not getting paid as much. As the men, okay? I'm just putting it out there. The entertainment value for the men was insane. The crowd was insane. The ticket prices were astronomical. Um, The world viewed in. They wanted to see the reigning champ, the king of tennis, the GOAT, Mr. Wolf himself. He, He runs with the Wolf Pack. Novak Djokovic versus the Young Prince. Carlitos Alcaraz, the future superstar, the man that Emma Raducanu could have had a year ago and now no longer. This guy is now a certified celebrity. He's a star. And uh, sorry, Emma, your chance is no longer. This guy is moving on. He is going to have supermodels throwing themselves at him on a daily basis. So, have fun with uh, Jack Draper. Okay. (sighs) Where should I start? Where should I start? Okay, I got up this morning. The match, the finals of Wimbledon was supposed to start at 6 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. I got up at 9 a.m. Because I needed my beauty rest. I recorded the match, obviously. I'm not an idiot. I recorded the match and basically I put my phone away. Okay, I hid it in a drawer. I made plans at about 11, for about 11.30 a.m., completely forgot about them, didn't check my phone, ended up looking at my phone at about 12.30 and realized I was already an hour late. I did the exact same thing four years ago when it was the Djokovic-Federer um, final. I knew I had plans that morning at 10 a.m., but I wasn't prepared to look at my phone because I didn't want to know what happened. Okay, it's one of those things, even if you have your phone next to you, and you're like, you hear your phone going off, and then you think about where you are in the match, where it would be live, you work backwards, and basically you determine what the conclusion of the match is, okay, with about 90% certainty. So I wasn't prepared to do that. So I was, I'm willing to ruin a friend Okay, hurt a relationship over this because it's that important to me. Anyway, we got up. Um, You know, my wife, she made strawberries and whipped cream because we're crazy like that. We're really getting into that Wimbledon vibe. Okay, no, we weren't in London because we couldn't afford the tickets. They were going for like 25K 
per ticket, apparently. 25,000 pounds, actually, which is what, like 35 US? We're not prepared to pay that amount for those tickets, nor could we if we wanted to. So we watched it at home. Very happy to be home. We're, we got a comfy home. Okay, so it wasn't uh, wasn't too big of a deal. Just getting texts on my phone right now. Got to stop those. So, okay. First thing I notice is the good-looking people that were out. I always do. I'm very superficial like that. Okay, always focused on in the looks department. Brad Pitt was there. Um, he was not, he, last year he wore a bucket hat. He was with Bradley Cooper. After that, I bought a bucket hat cause I wanted to look like that this time. He was just like chilling out in like a blazer shirt, button down, gold chain showing. He looked very good. The guy's like 56 and he's still like the best looking guy on the planet. In my opinion, that's coming from a straight male, but just respects a good looking man. Okay. Um, who else? Hugh Jackman was there. A bunch of celebrities were there. Like the King of Spain was there. Uh, obviously, British royalty was there. And um, the other thing that I noticed about good looks is like both Alcaraz and Djokovic have insane legs. Uh, when they're just standing there getting ready, you know, for the photos, my wife was basically enamored by their legs. So was I. You know, they both shaved their legs. And I was just at a. Um, at a friend's place tonight who's obsessed with tennis as well. I need to bring him on the pod. And, um, you know, he was talking about, you know, which men shave their legs and which men don't. This is dinner table table conversation that we have in my circle. And Djokovic shaves his legs. Alcaraz shaves his legs. Nadal shaves his legs. Federer did not shave his legs. Most players, I think now, shave their legs. And I wonder why. You know, where, you know, my friend thought it's probably because of like the rehab, the massages, you know, afterwards, maybe it's like better to like for tape and whatnot. Maybe they just make, think it makes their legs look better, which arguably it does. So I need to like figure that one out. That is a question that I need answered because Federer's legs were amazing and he never, I don't believe he ever shaved his legs. So if he did shave his legs, where would that put his legs, you know, versus other people's legs when you say, okay, when you determine which male tennis player has the nicest legs? Alcaraz and Djokovic's are up there. No question. Federer's, though, probably, in my opinion, are the nicest. Nadal has nice legs, but he has really thick ankles, so there's not as much calf definition there. And I'm a big calf guy, Okay. In men and women, I really respect a high-quality calf. Um, Anyway, so who else was there that was good? Anyway, there was a lot. There was a lot. Um, What am I forgetting about? I don't even know. Anyway, setting up the match. It was a pretty windy day. You know, if it's really windy and it's going to impede on the quality of the match... When do you determine, like, okay, let's just close the roof, even though it is an outdoor tournament and it's not raining, but if it's, like, gale storm winds, and I'm not saying it was today, but let's just say if it was, would you close the roof just to make it a more high-quality match to watch? I don't know what their policy is, but I'd like to know. Anyway, I knew it was going to be a little bit windy. Uh, I thought Alcaraz could probably handle the wind pretty well. I remember him against Nadal in the Indian well, semifinals, 
you know, he was pretty good in the wind. Djokovic, I knew, would be fine in the wind just because he's such a veteran uh, and he could basically handle anything. Didn't turn out to be a massive factor. A little bit on one side of the court. You could tell they were serving into the wind. Um, but beyond that, you know, overcast, a little cool, but I think it was pretty good playing conditions. And um, essentially, you know, after the first set, you thought Djokovic was going to take this match. He won at 6-1. Going into the second set tiebreak, you still thought Djokovic was going to win this match um, because he's been basically, he's won his last 15 tiebreaks, which is insane. I think the number's 15. That's what Alcaraz said after the match in a post-game interview. Um, and he had set point. He was up 6-5. And then the unthinkable happened. Djokovic dumped a couple backhands in the net. Alcaraz had a nice return. And boom, Alcaraz wins a set and it's one all. That's when things really changed. You know, when it was basically after the first set, 6-1, I thought it was just, and most people probably thought it was just going to be a blowout. Okay, my thinking was, did Brad Pitt fly all the way from LA to London for a match that's going to last an hour and a half? And if he did, I feel bad for him. Because I thought, hey, that's really inconvenient for Brad. Don't know why I think that way, but that was one of the main thoughts going through my mind. Um, Anyway, that wasn't the case. Um, Third set, we all know what happened. There was that epic game at 3-1 that went like to like 55 deuces. Alcaraz won it. Then Djokovic tanked the rest of the set. Not sure that was smart to do that, but he did. Um... Joker took a long break after that set, regrouped. Uh, people booed when he walked on because people hate Alcaraz, hate Djokovic. People love Alcaraz, though. Um, and um, they just hate him. They just hate him. 80% of the fans were going for Alcaraz. This is a man that has won 23 Grand Slams. And there's like, you know, they basically give him just, just the level of respect that is required for the accomplish, accomplishments that he's had in the game, but nothing beyond that. There's always a couple guys that will mock him. He goes back and forth. He blows some kisses when he wins a big point. Good entertainment. I I like it. I like when uh, Djokovic, you know, starts going back and forth with people in the crowd. It's basically fuel for him. I think I might have met. I either mentioned that in a tweet or on a previous podcast. It fires him up. It brings out that wolf mentality in him. He likes it. Anyway, so he won the fourth. He won, came back, won the fourth. And we're thinking, all right, going into a fifth, Joker is still likely the favorite. Alcaraz breaks him at 3-2. Joker smashes his racket over the wood beam hold, holding up the net. Seems to almost break his arm. Although I watched it in replay slow-mo, and he did let go of the racket right when it was contacting the pole. So he was smart, so it wouldn't have hurt his wrist. He did seem to shake a little bit his arm, so it probably hurt a little bit. But anyway, that was a pretty good shellacking of that racket. He was never to break. He was never able to break back. Believe it or not, Alcaraz was serving at five four, and you think Djokovic is going to zone in? He was zoned in. You know, he won the first point, and then Alcaraz puts like two incredible points together. I won't go through them in detail because every pod. Oh, that's all they do. They're just like analyzing the game. It's boring. We all know what happened. Alcaraz, you know, is just clutch, has massive balls. He, after missing a drop shot, he hits another drop shot. You know, I am going to tell you what he did. After the first point, missing drop shot, second point, drop shot lob, 
Then the third point at 15 all, an incredible stab volley. Then he's clutch on the next few points. I guess he lost one. And then he's clutch at 30 all and wins the next two points. And he's the Grand Slam champion. And it's nice that Elkaraz... Okay, I actually wanted, for some reason, Djokovic to win this match. I don't know why. After 2019, when he beat Federer in the final, I thought I would hate Djokovic for the rest of my life. I would never get over it. I'm still not quite over it when Federer had those two match points and should have won. But um, how things changed this time, because now, I guess I just jump on bandwagons, because now Joker is the GOAT. I want him to keep breaking records. I'm not sure why. But in hindsight, I'm glad Elkaraz actually won. Because it's like a good step for the next, you know, generation for him to be Alcaraz to beat Djokovic when Djokovic is still in his prime, arguably playing his best on grass. It shows that it's not like, oh, okay, these three guys retired, the big three. Now the next generation, they're, you know, getting all these records coming close to maybe, you know, Djokovic's records way down the road. Maybe never, but if they do, but you could always say, oh, but they never were as good. Here, Alcaraz just beat Joker when he was in his prime. So it's just a much more interesting conversation. Um, And it is just super impressive. Okay. What else to say about this match? After the match, um, Joker handled it with quite a lot of grace. I'm just watching here. So this is the final point. You don't need to hear the crowd go wild for Alcaraz. I just told you, 80, I would say 80-20 in favor of Alcaraz. They were very happy that he won it. Um, you know, Djokovic handled the loss with extreme grace and dignity. I know most people don't think that the name, the word Djokovic and grace should all happen in the same sentence, but he did, okay? You can't even argue it. Um I literally lost a tournament match in a nothing tournament in the first round yesterday. And I was like a little bitchy brat for five hours afterwards because I was so pissed at myself. Meanwhile, Djokovic loses in the Wimbledon finals and like 10 minutes later on court, he's like all praise and respect. This is an interview. I haven't even listened to the full thing, but he's talking about Alcaraz afterwards in the press conference. And he was saying how good Alcaraz is. Uh, let's take a listen. Well, I think people have been talking in the past uh, um, 12 months or so about uh, uh, his game being consisting of certain elements from Roger Ruff and myself. I would agree with that. I think he, he's got basically best of all three worlds. Uh, He's got uh, he's got this mental uh, mental resilience and really maturity for someone who is twenty year old twenty years old. It's it's quite impressive. He's got this you know Spanish bull mentality of uh, competitiveness and fighting spirit and incredible defense that uh, we've seen with Rafa over the years. And uh, and I think he's got uh, some some nice uh, sliding backhands that he's got maybe. Uh, He's got some similarities with with mine, my backhands, and he's he's just uh, yeah, two-handed backhands and uh, defense and being able to adapt. I think that has been my personal strength for for many years, and he has it too. So I haven't played a player like him ever, 
be honest, you know, uh, Roger and Rafa have their own, obviously, strengths and weaknesses, but uh, uh, Carlos is, is a very complete player, uh, amazing, uh, adapting capabilities that I think are a key for longevity and for a uh, successful career on all surfaces. Well, I think... Okay, that's some high praise there from Djokovic. In fact, I liked the tweet as we were... I was just playing it there. This is directly from Twitter, so I gave it a like. I was about to give it a comment, but I didn't want you to hear the typing. Um, so... Djokovic basically compared Alcaraz to being, you know, like those three guys, Fed, Nadal, Djokovic. He said he has traits of all of them, but like better, and he's never played against anybody like him. I Maybe he's going a little bit too far there. Sure, maybe there's some truth to that, but come on. I wouldn't say, like, yeah, Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic, like... Okay, Alcaraz is good, very good. I'm not quite prepared to go there, but high, high praise from uh, from Djokovic. What else do we have here? We got some other interesting. Oh, here was another nice moment. Okay, this is the last thing I'll play from Joker, but this was another nice moment that I think was quite endearing with the fans, which again is unusual for Joker. Let's take a listen. Just a word for Goran and your family and your team up there. Look pretty stressful up there today. <laughs> Yeah, I, it's nice to see my son still there, still smiling, you know. Uh, um, uh, <laughs> um, uh, this is where it gets emotional. I'm getting emotional. Anyway... Hopefully the sound was okay for that, but I'm just gonna fast forward a little bit. He gets emotional. Thank you. <laughs> and he talks about all uh, talks about loving each other. Um, nice moment. He's obviously uh, he's a family man, no question. Djokovic. I've never seen him cry. I don't think on court before. I'm trying to think back if there was a moment where I ever saw Djokovic cry on court. Definitely seen Federer cry. Del Potro, it felt like every time he played, he had to cry, whether it was a win or a loss or whatever. I've never seen a player cry as much as Del Potro. Uh, Nadal, the only time I've really ever seen him cry was when (laughs) Federer retired at the Labor Cup. And man, we have to talk about the Labor Cup because the Labor Cup is coming to Vancouver in September and nobody in Vancouver knows it is because they have done in my opinion, a terrible job of promoting the Labor Cup. It's happening in two months from now, okay? There's not even any Labor Cup banners around the city, okay? Apparently, the tickets aren't selling. They started at a really high price, and now they're trying to basically give them away. Maybe they're not trying to give them away yet, but what all I'm saying is that I'm a little concerned. Apparently, Tennis Canada is running it like Team 8, which is Roger Federer's agency uh, and company, basically, and also owns Labor Labor Cup, or at least the majority of Labor Cup. I think they basically gave um, Tennis Canada the contract to kind of run it. You know what I mean? To manage the whole thing. And then they've worked with like Tourism BC. That's without... 
in my last pod, in a previous pod, I showed how shitty of like an intro video to Vancouver it was at the last Labor Cup. They're dropping the ball. They need to hire some legit, you know, uh, advertising PR companies push this thing. I'm concerned about it. They better give me a media pass with my local pod to get in there and stir up some things. I got to ask somebody, okay, does anybody know anyone at Team 8 that can help me out here? But um, I'm a little concerned. Anyway, that was the last time that I saw Nadal cry. It was at Labor Cup. This Labor Cup, I guarantee you, will not be as good as that Labor Cup. Okay, obviously Federer retiring, etc., etc. But even if he wasn't, this Labor Cup will not be as good as the last one in London. Hate to break it to you, everyone. Um, and but I don't think I've ever seen Djokovic cry on court. I just don't think so. Anyway, he's like a pretty like you know stone face kind of guy. Uh, he didn't seem that doesn't seem that emotional. So I kind of like shivered up a little bit when he started crying. I almost I didn't get emotional, but I, I was feeling it for sure. Um, and I think that's it. There's a couple other things that he was saying. Oh, I wanted to talk in the semis too. He was basically like, Joker was like taunting, you know, the next gen, you know, he was saying that Alcaraz is hungry. I'm hungry. It's going to be a feast. He was talking about these like, you know, young guys trying to get him. Uh, and he said, it ain't happening. Anyway, he was like loving it. I think Joker truly went into this match thinking that he was going to win it. He even said so much in the post-game interview when he was like, you know, saying, hey, I knew it was going to be tough with you on clay and hard, but I thought on grass, you know, you weren't there yet. Obviously, I'm wrong. So Joker definitely went in thinking he was going to win this match. I think probably 95% of tennis fans thought he was going to win this match. I have to give Patrick McEnroe some credit. He predicted Alcaraz in five, but you know what? Any commentator, if they just pick the underdog once in a while, they are going to be right and they're going to basically flex, you know, all over social media about it. Like, for example, when I predicted Manorino was going to beat Medvedev in the first round of some tournament like a month ago, I basically mentioned it in like five podcasts after that, after that, just to like try to sound sweet. Um, but yeah. So that was the Wimbledon finals. Very entertaining. Tennis is in a good place. The women's final, not so good. Okay, Vandrusova, Vondrusova, the Czech woman, she ruined the fairy tale ending. I hate her for it. I hate her tattoos. I don't actually hate her. I'm sure she's a nice person. And I'm part Czech, so like my mom, my mom who is full Czech, she was like so happy that Vondrusova won. I'm like, come on, mom. Anyway. Um, so she ended up beating, uh, Svitolina, uh, in the semifinal, which everyone was disappointed about. Obviously everyone wanted Svitolina win. She was like playing for Ukraine, playing for her war-torn country. And then her against Jabur in the final, who's also playing for the continent of Africa, would have been like fireworks. Didn't happen. You know, I thought Jabur was obviously going to win after beating Rubikina, Rubakina, as people like to say, and then Sabalenka, probably the two favorites. She beats them, and then the final, she just couldn't put it together. She was emotional after. Um, but you know what I'm saying. It was like a, I think, did I mention at the pod about like equal pay? That match, I don't know how much revenue that match generated. Probably close to maybe 10% of what the men generated. So it really is in the entertainment industry hard to argue that they should be getting paid. The same, they did get paid the same in this tournament. 
You may not agree with me. This is not like a sexism thing, okay? This is, I'm just talking from a business standpoint, purely from ad revenue, okay, from ticket sales, etc. I'm just like a business minded person, okay? I'm just trying to be real here. Anyway, I think I'm, I think I mentioned I'm also creative. I got like a lot of good qualities that nobody else thinks that I have other than myself. Anyway, moving on. Um, so that was the women's finals. The men's finals is complete. Uh, not really anything too crazy else to talk about other than one bombshell that I have. And I, okay, I shouldn't even be saying this because I just heard this through the grapevine. But apparently, this is totally unrelated to Wimbledon. Anybody that's doing a tennis pod is just solely speaking about Wimbledon right now. Like, there's so much to talk about Wimbledon. Why would somebody talk about anything else? But I have to talk about this, okay? Apparently, Manorino on the men's side has a sugar daddy, okay, that pays him to travel the world, just to, he pays him, and apparently there are favors involved, okay? I don't know if this is true, but someone needs to look into it. Maybe it's just like a, a real relationship, okay, and maybe there is some financial gain. I don't know. That happens all the time. I'm not judging. I just think it is something that I want to find out because I think it's an interesting story if it is true. And if it is true, no judgments. Like I said, I'm just interested. I also, okay, I've got one other thing that this is just me being like, I'm just like assuming here based on the social media posts that there's something between Gabriela Sabatini, the legend female tennis player from Argentina who still looks incredible in her 50s, and Del Potro. They're always out for dinners. Okay, we talked about Delpo always crying. I think he has mummy issues. So I wouldn't be surprised if he goes for an older woman. But I'm just saying that it seems something's going on there. Okay, I think that's it. We covered Wimbledon. We covered a little bit of gossip that I may have made up both things completely. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. Whew, that was a lot. That was a lot. Uh, let's take a couple days off tennis and we will get back into the hard court season. I'm your host, Chris Asagwat. Follow me on Twitter at Chris Asagwat. Follow me on Instagram if you would like to. Comment on the pod, leave a review, and I will talk to you soon. Bye bye. <laughs>